3: Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. A bill to protect abortion services for women traveling to California from states where abortion is banned is now on a fast track in Sacramento. KQED Politics editor Scott Schaefer has more.
0: Assembly Bill 1666 was introduced after Texas enacted a law to punish women who receive an abortion or anyone who assists her. It was already scheduled for a vote in the State Assembly, but after this week's leak of a draft Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade, its backers added an urgency clause, meaning it would take effect immediately if it passes with two-thirds support and the governor signs it. The bill declares the Texas law and ones like it to be unenforceable in California. East Bay Assemblywoman Rebecca bauer kahan says her bill attracted two dozen new co-authors this week. The Assembly will likely vote on it next week. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer.
3: LGBTQ advocates are concerned that the leaked Supreme Court draft opinion is a sign that justices could also roll back protections for other rights, like same-sex marriage. Rebecca Rolf, Executive Director at the San Francisco LGBT Community Center, says the draft decision feels like an attack.
1: The thing that is really scary about this is that we have come to see the courts as a particular
2: and important protection for rights of people who are marginalized, including the the LGBTQ communities. Um, And this is certainly a signal that, that that period of protection is under threat and at an end.
3: Rolf says it's a moment to invest in coalitions and actions to protect equal rights. California Attorney General Rob Bonta is the latest state official to call for ramped up protections of abortion services following this week's leak of a draft opinion suggesting the Supreme Court could overturn Roe v. Wade. Bonta spoke at a roundtable on reproductive rights in San Diego yesterday.
0: I will use the full force of the law and the full authority of this office to protect a woman's right to choose to protect the right to an abortion and to reproductive health care and reproductive freedom, period.
3: Bonta says if Roe v. Wade is overturned, people from out of state who seek an abortion in California should not be concerned.
2: You will have that right. It will be defended here in the state of California. I, as the California Attorney General, will
0: protect and defend and fight for that right.
3: Bonta says the state is working to expand healthcare access and access to abortion services to meet the needs of not only Californians, but also people living in other states where abortion would become illegal if the landmark ruling is in fact overturned. The state Senate Judiciary Committee has voted to advance a bill that would let teens get vaccinated for COVID without their parents' consent. KQED's Vanessa Rancano
2: reports. Under SB 866, minors 12 and up wouldn't need their parents okay to get shots approved by the FDA. Bay Area State Senator Scott Weiner wrote the bill.
1: And we know that so many kids are going to talk to their parents, not all, but many. But there are some kids who, for whatever reason, can't talk to their parents. That dynamic just doesn't exist. And they're not comfortable doing it or they don't feel safe doing it. And this will empower them look after their own health.
2: The committee heard hours of testimony from parents opposed to the legislation. They described severe vaccine side effects and argued kids aren't equipped to make the decision on their own. The bill now heads to the Senate floor for a vote. For the California Report, I'm Vanessa Rancano. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book,
3: California has a long history of mass incarceration and overcrowding in our state's prisons. In the mid-2000s, prisons here were at nearly 200 percent of their capacity. But over the last decade, the state has been working to fix that problem. In 2020 alone, more than 27,000 people were released from prisons in California. A new project from KQED's Pendarvis Harshaw and photographer Brandon Tauzik, backed by the Pulitzer Center, takes us inside the lives of eight men and women, all formerly incarcerated Californians, who are now back out in the world, trying to rebuild their lives. Pen Harshaw joins me now to talk about their experiences and the project he worked on. Pen, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Tell me more about some of the common barriers that the folks you interviewed face as they're trying to reestablish their lives after getting out of prison.
0: One of the more fascinating aspects of this whole project was looking at the same issues that all Californians face and how it is just amplified when you're dealing with Mm -hmm. having a record or not being uh, in society for the past two to three, four decades. Things like housing, things like health care, employment, specifically employment for uh, people who don't have higher education. All of these issues are things that Californians, a lot of Americans face. But again, if you have a record, if you've been removed from the larger society, then you have another barrier on top of that.
3: We're actually going to listen to a clip now of a few of the people you interviewed talking about some of the other day-to-day aspects of getting used to being on the outside again.
0: When I first got out, I went to a restaurant, full of people I feel like awkward. I feel like, you know, this is uncomfortable to me because, like, this is unlike prison. Prison's like, you know, people respect your space, but coming out here, I feel like, man, this is like, <laughs> very difficult. When I was in transition, I was super uh, it, it was all life was there. So, and a lot of them been there for a while, and they kind of helped me out because a lot of stuff I didn't know. They've been out for a while, like, for, like, using the phone using the restroom, because when I went to the restroom, and I went to the sink, and I'm like, looking for the knobs. There's none. And the guy says, Let's put your hand up in there. So I put my hand up and it just came up by myself. I'm like, wow, this is, this is crazy right here.
2: The taste of a pumpkin spice latte, actually going to Starbucks and seeing the busyness of Starbucks now. And I remember I just closed my eyes for a second, and I'm like, wow. It just brought my taste buds to life.
3: Share with us a little bit about those voices we just heard.
0: Yeah. So in order, you heard uh, Gary Vong, uh, then you heard Melvin Smith, and then you heard Lynn Acosta. All three of them are of different backgrounds, different uh, racial backgrounds. They're located in different areas all throughout the state. But they've all had similar experiences in encountering the things that we just accept as mundane. And it's very humbling, if not humiliating, to be an adult, middle-aged adult, saying, hey, hold my hand as I walk through society. And they shared that largely across the board, people were asking for just patience. And that is hard in our society where we're not a very patient people. It's a very fast paced society.
3: Penn, it sounds like one of the core questions behind this project was what kind of support does the state offer to people getting out of prison After being there for a long time so that they can navigate the reentry process, what did you and Brandon learn about the support that people get and what they don't get?
0: What everyone shared with me in this project and even people that we interviewed who weren't participants in this project were that they depended on family and friends and other formerly incarcerated people, specifically lifers. Former lifers really depend on other lifers because they're the only ones who've been in their shoes. And so you see this, uh, each one reach one kind of system where if I know you from being incarcerated and we both get out, say you got out four years ahead of me, the minute I get out, you reach out for me and you say, hey, here's how I navigate a society. And so um, what we see what's needed is that there needs to be more support for the friends, family and other former lifers who are supporting people when they get out.
3: Pendarvis Harsha is the host of KQED's Right Nowish podcast and co-creator of the new multimedia project Facing Life. Along with photographer Brandon Tauzik. You can find the project online at facing.life. Well, it's a big win for California. Cable, phone, and wireless companies have dropped their legal bid to block the state's net neutrality law. From our Silicon Valley desk, KQED's Rachel Myro explains. This story begins when Trump-era regulators killed federal net neutrality rules designed to prevent AT&T, Comcast, Verizon, and the like from, say, throttling customers' internet connection to get them to upgrade to premium services or blocking competing services. California's law became a major target for industry lawyers, but now they've backed down, thrilling Evan Greer, who directs the digital rights group Fight for the Future.
1: We have safeguarded for at least some people in this country, the right to a free and open internet where telecom companies don't get to dictate what you can see and do online.
3: The Trump administration also sued California, but the Biden administration withdrew from the case. For The California Report, I'm Rachel Myro. And now to a preview of our sister show, The California Report's weekly magazine. You may know that Berkeley was the birthplace of the free speech movement. But did you know the city also launched a radical South Asian activist movement more than a century ago? The magazine's host, Sasha Koka took a walking tour to learn how that history still resonates today.
2: I'm standing on the UC Berkeley campus in front of Haas Pavilion, which is a sports arena now. But more than 100 years ago, there was a lecture hall here. So. We're now at the site of what is, as far as we know, the first South Asian protest in the city of
3: Berkeley. The first South Asian student enrolled at Berkeley in 1904.
2: That's Bernali Ghosh, and she and her partner Anirvan Chatterjee lead the Berkeley South Asian Radical History Walking Tour. She tells us that one day, back in 1908, a Christian evangelist came to Berkeley to give a talk about the time he'd spent in India and made some really racist remarks A small group of Indian students protested and shut down his lecture. This was 50 years before the free speech movement, but you will never hear the story being included
3: in the narrative or included in the radical legacy of Berkeley.
2: But these kinds of stories are included and celebrated on this two-mile walking tour. At one stop, we learn about Kathar Singh Sarapa, a teenage activist who came to Berkeley in 1912. He helped organize Indian immigrants to send money and arms to fight the British, paving the way for India's independence. Those early freedom fighters are inspiring a new wave of South Asian activists here in California. Like young organizers who helped propel a protest of about 10,006 in December 2020. They were protesting a bill they said would hurt farmers in India. Their caravan from all over the state slowed traffic on the Bay Bridge as they headed to the Indian consulate in San Francisco to protest. Six of today are not the six of a 100 years ago. We are more educated. We have more money. We have more resources. We have more access. And we are definitely more angry and more fed up of the way. Folks from all walks of life take this tour. Here's UC Berkeley senior and student activist Zed Syed.
1: Sometimes it can feel so lonely and alienating to... To be brown and have certain opinions and it's just a reminder that there
0: are
2: stories of people like us from the past and that we're not alone. All proceeds from this walking tour helped fund a summer mentorship program for young South Asian activists. The California Report magazine's host,
3: Sasha Koka. You can hear more about California's radical South Asian history on this week's show. Tune in on your public radio station or on the magazine's podcast.
0: Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital. Providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals, personalcapital.com. Paint Care, now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org.
3: And that's the California Report for Friday, May 6th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin, Brendan Willard, and Jim Bennett, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan tovin Lindsay, And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Alex Hall. Thanks for listening.